Welcome to PWC's Tax Readiness Podcast Series. This podcast is an excerpt from PWC's Tax Readiness Webcast Series held on March 20, 2019, covering state tax reform implications. The panelists for the webcast were Eric Burkheiser, a partner in PWC's State and Local Tax Practice Group, and the firm's State and Local Income Tax Leader. Jim Manley and Tina Skidmore, both partners in the State and Local Tax Practice Group, and Rebecca Lee, a principal in PwC's International Tax Services Group. This excerpt consists of a discussion of what companies are doing from a provision perspective regarding tax reform and the state dynamics associated with the key federal tax reform provisions, including application of the five-step ordering rule and some considerations related to Section 163J. Have a listen. So, Tina, what have you seen companies do do from a provision perspective around tax reform? Yeah, and as Rebecca was saying, that that communication, right, around the preparers of the state provision and the federal group, or maybe it's one group that's doing everything and they just ran out of time, right? The the desire to do a state-by-state, entity-by-entity provision is there. The time to do it is not often, right? And so many, many departments were struggling with, federal tax reform, how do we compute it, what are we going to do, and then didn't really, they ran out of time to do those detailed computations for state purposes. So many clients that I've been speaking to are looking at, okay, next year we feel like we have a better handle on federal, now we have these new five-step ordering rule to, to handle for federal, but now that we have federal under control, let's talk about how we make our state process more detailed. Yeah, and I've really, I've really seen the same thing, too, is at provision time, a lot of the clients nationally have been taking an approach of sort of estimating as best they can, but not getting into the level of detail mm-hmm. that's ultimately going to be required to get your returns done in the next several months. So, um, so good. We're going to move on to, uh, now we're going to get into the section that really deals with the state dynamics associated with uh, these provisions. So taking what Rebecca had laid out for us from an overview perspective and getting into the intricacies of how the states are dealing with this. So this next section in dealing with the state differences, Tina's going to start to guide us through that and the concepts and the like, and then we're going to flip to Jim. Um, so Tina, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you, Eric. As we, as we start thinking about the state considerations, I want to back up for a second and think about what creates most of the issues for states or the complexities for states, right? And it all comes down to two main buckets around conformity, and then separate versus consolidated. As we think about conformity, there's a number of ways and three main ways that you'll see that the states don't conform to federal. And you'll see first they have fixed state conformity. So what does that mean? That means that a state conforms to the Internal Revenue Code as of a specific date. California and Minnesota are examples of such states. We also have states that um, selectively conform to certain provisions within tax reform. So Idaho, for an example, will conform to guilty, but does not conform to the 250 deduction under guilty and FDII. Hmm. So you have pieces, right? So you start having to look at it and be like, how do I compute this? And it's not consistent even between the same state. And then you'll have states that flip-flop between conformity. So if it's not complex enough to figure out what you're going to do one year, you got to turn around the next year and be like, well, okay, this is completely different than it was last year. And Iowa is an example of a state that has flip-flopped on us. So in pre-2019 tax years, Iowa conformed to the Internal Revenue Code as of 2015, Hmm. a pre-tax reform. Then as we come to 2019, 
they updated their conformity to March of 2018, post-tax reform, so now we have tax reform built in, and then 2020 and forward, they have rolling conformity. So it's not just enough that you have to understand, do they conform, it could all change on you the next year. In the second bucket, what we need to look at is uh, states if separate versus consolidated. And we're gonna spend a lot of time, as Rebecca alluded to earlier, a lot of time looking at this whole concept between separate and consolidated and what that does to our computations, especially in the five-step ordering rules. Um, guilty and FDII are consolidated computations that need to be broken down for state purposes for us to get to the right number and so then the, the ordering rule under 250, I feel gives us a framework of looking at how all of these uh, tax reform provisions interact with each other and the complexities that arise for state purposes. So as we go to the five-step ordering rule. So here, this is, a, Rebecca told us about the five-step ordering rule, right? And the reason that we have it, right? It's to, to give us a linear format for all of these computations that rely, rely on adjusted taxable income to get their correct computations more of a circular, it could be a circular calculation. And so now we have this linear format in which to compute it. And so as we're going to walk through the five steps on the next slide here, starting with step one. So starting with step one, here we're computing our hypothetical. This is really a hypothetical or tentative computation for 250. And here in this hypothetical, for state purposes, it really comes, you, it, it's illustrated here that we need to start breaking this out on a separate legal entity basis. For federal, you're looking at it unconsolidated. State, we need to start breaking, breaking this down. So already at step one, we need to be breaking this down. An example here that you could think through is for FDII purposes, you could have multiple U.S. shareholders that are making sales to foreign affiliates. And so you could have one U.S. shareholder that is licensing IP to a foreign affiliate and receiving royalties. You could have another that's making sales to a foreign affiliate on a consolidated basis, right? You would be computing um, that FDII number, but for state purposes, we need to break, break those apart and determine what the impact will be before we can even start cascading down on the, the steps below. On step two, well, I'm sorry. Go back. Go back here, sorry. So in step two, we're gonna look at uh, the calculation under 163J. And again, there'll be state uh, issues related to that, so if we'll go to the next one, Eric. So here on under 163J, right, we have our conformity issues, states that conform to 163J and some that do not. If a state does not conform to 163J and we think about our our ordering rules and our five-step process, you know, would this nonconformity turn off the step for that state? Would we still compute it? I think it's really unclear what that means, but as we think about our computations for state purposes, we could find ourselves with entity, you know, all of our entities that either have guilty, to, guilty so we're computing a 250 deduction, or FDII, we could be computing state-by-state -state computations for them and then be having differences related to states that do conform or don't conform to 163J. And what do we do with this step if the state doesn't conform? I think it's unclear. Yeah, 
Agreed. I think in, in, in selective conformity, right? Yeah. So if they conform to guilty but don't conform to 163J as part of that 250 calculation, you have to you have to know at that five step process you have to remove that, right? So that's right. Again, it's not just a one or the other binary analysis. It's going to be you know multiple uh, machinations of analysis uh, as you go through each of these states. So that's right. As we come back out to the five-step process, now we're calculating our NOL under 172A, so our 80% limited NOL. So as we flip, flip next slide, we'll go through what those complexities look like for state purposes. Again, we're looking at conformity and how does the state specifically conform to 172. You know, we're going to have broad conformity under 172. Some states are going to have broad conformity and not specifically look at 172A, or a state could be looking at uh, conforming to or city to 172C, which is the federal's definition of an NOL. And so then what do we do? do if it's broad but doesn't specifically reference 172A, does the state have the 80% the limitation? And I know, Jim, you and I were talking about this earlier today about conformity and where the limitations are and, and what right. they could actually do in returns. Yeah, I, I think the, the five-step process to me, and, and you know, this, especially the 163J and 172 step, really illustrates, um, well, to me it has a couple of questions sort of embedded in it. Um, we're, we're talking about you know, Section 250 deduction, and we say, well, if I'm talking about a Line 28 state, and we talked about Indiana yeah. as an example, but that's just an example. The way to think about it is a Line 28 state uh, Section 250 is a special deduction, so that's usually after line 28. So do I even need to do this calculation? Am I going to get this deduction? Mm -hmm. um, in Indiana, the answer is partially yes, you will. And the, the way you need to think about it for line 28 states is not just do I start with line 28, but more importantly, what's the starting point definition in the statute? Right. And for Indiana, I think it's taxable income before NOL. When you think big picture, that's you know, line 28. Uh, but now, very specifically, that doesn't mention Section 250. So my starting point, although we consider it a Line 28 state, actually has a 250 deduction built into it. So I need to do this calculation for Indiana and any state that has that. Now, it also raises a question to me of sort of form geography. Like, again, we think of Line 28 state. Well, what will the 2018 forms look like? Will they start with that federal Line 28? Is that what it's going to tell me to put in there? Even though I know I now get a deduction for Line 28. Um, the other question is, how do I decouple? So let's say 163J or even 172. So we have a five-step process. Okay, if I decouple, to me, states decouple one of two ways. They do it in the way they conform to the Internal Revenue Code, or they do it with state mods. Right. Okay, so if, for example, I decouple by saying I adopt the Internal Revenue Code, but for 163J, for example, um, do I do my five-step process now, but I knock out step two? That's the 163J step. Um, not sure, but it seems like I might be able to do that. Right. Or if I have a modification, then I think I clearly am starting with the federal number. Now, Indiana says I have to add back the deduction under 250 related to guilty. They have an add-back modification. So do I redo this section 250, this five-step process, ignoring the guilty piece? I don't think so. I think I do the entire calculation and then take that portion of it and add it back. So, you know, when we think about not just this five-step process, but all these various modifications, 163J, 172, um, 
you know, line 28 states, we can't think of them as strictly line 28 states. I think you're going to find that quite a few line 28 states that we think of as line 28 states are going to give me some version of a line 250 deduction mm -hmm. benefit. So I'll need to do this calculation in a lot more separate company states than might be sort of obvious. Right, right. Well, and you think about it, you know, your combined states, assuming these are your entities that have guilty and FDII or part of your unitary group, our combined states are a bit what they are. But then the separate return states and what that footprint is in the states uh, for those entities and are there ways that we can uh, limit that footprint to help with some of these computations also. All right, so then we're on the last step of uh, the, the five-step ordering rule, and here's where we're co computing our 250 deduction, taking into our adjusted taxable income limitation. And so for state purposes, as we look at the next slide and we're looking at the complexities around that 250 deduction, again, it all comes back to this separate versus combined and then state conformity issues. And so I think if anything to remember from today what we've talked about when looking at computing your 250 deduction for states, just sit back and think about, okay, I got this population of states, what, is, what are my conformity issues and what are my separate versus consolidated issues? We have a very small, like Rebecca was talking about earlier, a very uh, simplified example here of where we have a U.S. parent and its operating company. On a consolidated basis, together they have $900 of income and $500 of guilty and FDII. However, once you take those apart and look at their separate numbers, the U.S. parent has $1,000 of income, whereas the, the operating company is operating at a loss. Obviously, on a separate level, the limitation on your 250 deduction is going to be vastly different than it would be at the consolidated federal level. And again, these are simplified examples with small numbers, but you start extrapolating that out for larger numbers, more complexity, and it really illustrates the need for these computations to be done. And I, I realize it's, it's, it's going to be hard, right? It's, it's time-consuming. It's going to be hard. But I do think that it's something that does need to be done. And like we said earlier, it needs to be done for the tax return. So if we can get it done through our work papers, through our provision, at least then we have it both in both places and ready to go for tax return season. Yeah, that's excellent. I think, I think the other point to note is it's as you do the separate and the consolidated calc, it's thinking about that in the context of combined return states that don't follow the consolidated mm -hmm. return provision. So again, it's, it's a, there's a lot of states that don't explicitly tie in to the federal consolidated return provisions, even if it's a unitary return. So it's another thing to think about and again, more complexity as you deal with implementing this. No, and, that, and that's correct. That's one of the things that Jim and I were talking about earlier today, too, is like when you're looking at this and looking at your, you know, entities that have FDII and guilty, you know, you could quickly be like, okay, well, these are all my combined and consolidated states. I'm taking those off the table right. and I'm focusing over here, but you can't do that. Can't, do, can't that. do that. Can't do that. Excellent. All right. Thanks, Tina, for walking us through that. And Jim, what are some of the other considerations relative to 163J outside of maybe current year income that people need to be thinking about? Yeah, so you know we talked about some conformity, non-conformity. These issues impact you know, whether I have a limit this year, which impacts my current year taxable income. But uh, the regs also talk about basis issues. So under Dash 32, mm -hmm. so you know from a federal consolidated standpoint, Dash 32 serves as a tracking mechanism for subsidiary basis when I use if I have income or loss. Um, but when I have a deferral under 163J, 
there's, a, there's now a proposed mechanism to sort of defer the basis adjustment under Dash 32 until I get that adjustment, uh, until I get that deduction at the federal level. So separate return states, I would always expect to have some sort of basis difference just inherent in separate versus consolidated. But say, for example, I have a consolidated state that follows Dash 32, uh, but they might decouple from 163J. Now I will have a different basis for that state, so it's a different issue that I now have to track uh, until I get that full deduction at the federal level. Now if I do something in between, when I, before I get that deduction, I'm going to have a different basis and a consolidated return where I normally wouldn't have thought about that. So sell the company, for example, right. different basis, different gain, loss calc. Exactly. Yeah, excellent. Good. Thanks for that. Lots of stuff to deal with. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like more information about this topic, please email the speakers. You can find their contact information in the description of this episode. Thank you.